Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 179 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is No is Not the Answer, an interview with Danielle Cosgrove. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, this is a young woman who had to learn how to advocate for herself, and she had to take responsibility for her health. And once she did those two things, she was able to go forward on her healing journey. And Rich, Danielle reminded me so much of myself being a fellow Long Islander, being sick for over eight years, having Lyme carditis, neurological Lyme, and having to advocate for herself to get a proper diagnosis, and then to fight to finally get proper treatment. Matt, so we named this episode No Is Not The Answer because Danielle had to learn how to advocate for herself and refuse to allow doctors to tell her no, to refuse to allow her parents to tell her no, so she can go forward on her healing journey. So without further ado, Danielle Cosgrove. Hey, Danielle, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, how are you guys? We're really excited. Uh, we always issue a trigger warning anytime we interview someone from Long Island because all three of us will butcher the English <laughs> language. So let's apologize in advance. And um, I apologize. And, yes. Uh, Long Island. There you go. So you're a Guyland girl and um, <laughs> and uh, and you speak our very foreign tongue here on Long Island. So, <laughs> Danielle, talk to us about how long you've lived on Long Island. Um, I grew up here. I was actually adopted from Texas, um, but I grew up here in Oyster Bay, uh, right on uh, Split Rock Road and 25A. That's where my house is. Uh, you can uh, find it, <laughs> um, but no, it's actually a private area, so you can't. <laughs> um, but that's where I grew up, right there on 25A, right in the heart of both Oyster Bay and Syosset. You know, we're on the border, um, right by the water. It's so nice. So just to give our listeners some context, that's a very, very well-heeled community where you live. Yes. And uh, the school district, what school district did you attend and what was the quality of the education that you had received? So I went to Catholic school my entire life. I went to St. Dominic's growing up. That's where I was in pre-K, kindergarten, all the way through um, eighth grade. <clears throat> and then I went to Our Lady of Mercy, which is a, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> my goodness. Um, I went to Our Lady of Mercy, which is an all-girl Catholic high school. And then my senior year, I transferred back to St. Dominic's because I missed it. <laughs> okay. So, so you were, um, you were a young woman who grew up in a family of means, right? Your, your parents were able to send you to private school and you were able mm -hmm. to get a private school education uh, at various Catholic schools on Long Island. Yes, exactly. Yep. All right. So uh, now we have a context for our listeners. Now talk to us about what you knew about ticks and Lyme disease during the time that you grew up, either from your community, from your schools, or from any of the, of the activities that you participated in. So my school never did anything or said anything about ticks, um, never even learned once about it. Uh, I think the only time my parents even ever said anything we used to have a, a house on the bay in Hampton Bays. That was when I first really learned about it. Um, there was plenty of swamp and marshland over there. Uh, so there, there was definitely a lot of high grass, lots of deer out there. Uh, they, they always uh, recommended checking for ticks when you come inside. Wasn't a big thing. It was just like a scan over your body, make sure there's nothing there type thing. But then we ended up uh, selling that property and moving that house over to Dune Road, which is in West Hampton. And there's a lot more, literally there's dunes with high grass. Uh, there's more deer. So we always had to check the dog for ticks. That was the number one thing is checking the dog because he was out in the grass all the time. 
And then we had noticed my dad had been getting ticks on him a lot. And so we were, we were like, all right, let's, let's start checking us for ticks a lot more, especially when we would walk over to the Bayside because there was a lot of high grass over there because they just, they didn't take it out of the grass of the, of the um, sand over there. They kind of kept it and to walk to the Bay, you have to walk through the high grass. So ever since, uh, I would say about 2006, it was like the most prevalent in my life, but it wasn't like, this big thing where it was like, you need to check for ticks. It was like, oh, you should probably do it. Okay. So yeah, let's, let's give a context to our listeners who will, who will not know about Long Island's geography. Um, your parents are clearly well-heeled and they mm-hmm. had not only a house in one of the wealthiest communities on the um, Western part of Long Island, but you also had a home in the Eastern part of Long Island in, um, in, some of the wealthiest communities on the eastern part of Long Island. So you're clearly people with resources, educated mm-hmm. people, people yep. who should be aware of the risks that they and their daughter um, may face. Um, and you were discovering that your dad was getting a lot of ticks on him. Your dogs are getting a lot of ticks on him. Yet, despite all of that, you still have Lyme disease. So talk to us about, um, about what, your, what your tick checks look like and um, how often you would do them, and whether or not you believe if you had a better education, whether or not you might not be suffering from Lyme disease today? Um, so I guess our tick, our, our tick check would look like, uh, you know, before you go in the shower, just take a quick browse over your body, make sure that you don't see anything, um, and then have someone look at the back, your back, just to make sure there's nothing on your back. Um, back of your legs, it was like, good luck. Like you can't see anything there. That's fine. Um, you know, look in the mirror. Um, you know, I had no idea that they could be the size of a poppy seed or smaller, like had no clue. So it, it so was let's a quick pause there for a second. Then let's yeah. pause there for a second. So now you know that ticks are so small that they could be the size of a poppy seed. Do you think the tick check method that you were taught to use, which is essentially visually look at your arms and your legs and have somebody visually look at your back was an effective tool for checking for ticks. I think it would have been if they, if we had looked harder, cause now it's, it's, uh, it was just a quick, quick look, make sure there, you don't see a big black bug on you. Um, and if you did, it's fine if it's not attached, but if it's attached, then you, it's a problem. Like the, that type of thing. Like maybe, um, maybe I would have looked a little bit harder and like actually spent a little bit more time trying to find something if I did. Okay. So you are essentially taking these cursory checks uh, on your own body and having a family member make a cursory visual check of your body. Um, Mm -hmm. Were you doing anything to avoid checks? Meaning were you using any kind of sprays? Were you using any type of clothing, protective clothing, uh, were there any steps that your family was taking to protect you, your dad, your mom, or any of your companion animals from coming in contact with ticks in the first place? So uh, we have been, we would always put frontline on our dogs. That was the number one thing that we did. Um, we had, some, had someone come spray our property with like the tick sprays, um, or like the prevention sprays. I don't know what, what it's called, but it's like one of those people that come and do it for you. Uh, what else? We, 
we definitely use cutter a lot like that that bug spray cutter i don't know if it prevents ticks but that's what we use for like bug bites like to re- prevent bug bites mm, and no preventative clothing Danielle, would you put the cutter on every time you went out and where would you put the cutter in order to protect you from uh the bugs um it wasn't every time i would say it's it was more so at night because that's when like the the bugs would come out to bite but we didn't know that like tick bites were every day or like during the day you know like we we had no idea so it was mostly at night and i i would put it everywhere because i didn't care because i was going to go home and shower anyway (laughs) so you you seem to have this really nice childhood um in both nassau and suffolk counties on long island uh Mm -hmm. talk to us about what it is that you were um pursuing during your childhood meaning what did you envision yourself doing when you grew up um I wasn't really a futuristic type person. Like I wasn't really looking at the future. I was more so always about here and now, like the, like right now, what's going on right now. Um, but I was very focused on um, lacrosse. Um, that was my number one thing. I played lacrosse my entire life. Um, I was going to school for it. I was, uh, you know, really, really doing well. I, uh, when I was in a uh, college, I've started uh, doing sport management and, um, I really wanted to be in sports somehow. Sports is like my number one thing. I, I work in sports now and I love it and I couldn't see it in my life any other way. I mean, if any other possible uh, thing could happen, I would be a Disney princess, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had worked in Disney and I would not recommend it. <laughs> All I right. mean, we're going to, we're going to unpack some of that. So um, you were a good athlete. You were a lacrosse player for all of your childhood. And your vision mm-hmm. was that you would be in the sports arena, sports management arena in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, let us let me ask you one more question about your, um, your tick education. Um, obviously, if you're a lacrosse, lacrosse player, you're outside a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Any of your coaches, um, either on your school teams or any of your club teams, ever talked to you about ticks? And did any of your club teams recommend that you and or your teammates take any steps to check for ticks? No, not at all. So now you're a lacrosse player. You're getting ready to go to college. Where'd you go to college? And uh, what were you envisioning yourself doing in college? So I had started out at Adelphi and Adelphi, I wasn't recruited to play there. I had actually, I was recruited to play at a bunch of other schools, but I wanted to go to Adelphi for their sport management program. Um, I heard it was one of the best and I knew that their lacrosse team was great. So I was like, all right, let me start to, um, to talk to people and I can, maybe I can walk on the team, like, you know, like try out and, and stuff like that. So I had actually gotten sick my first time. Uh, I have Epstein-Barr virus and mono. I had mono the first time when tryouts were and I couldn't even run the mile. And I, after that, I was like, I can't do this. Um, so when I went to Adelphi, after I was like, I'm not playing lacrosse here anymore, I'm going to switch schools. I ended up going to Nassau for a little bit, um, Nassau Community College. And I, I didn't get my associates there because I knew I was still going for my bachelor. So I was like, I'm just going to take the classes that I need for my, my bachelor's. And then I transferred to Southern New Hampshire because I started working full time. I had like two jobs and then I had three jobs at one point. Um, even though now I have four, (laughs) um, I had three jobs at one point while I was in school. So I was doing everything online and 
um, I had graduated for some, from Southern New Hampshire University. So Danielle, talk to us about what your health was like during your childhood. Clearly you're an athlete and mm-hmm. you, um, you were um, very athletically inclined. And talk to us about when your symptoms from what you now know to be your tick disease began to present. Um, so I, my whole childhood, I was pretty healthy. I would get a bad, like, you know, uh, cough, like once a year, it was, it was, uh, nothing to worry about. My parents never had to worry about it, but it was like, this like <coughs> a cough, like something gross, like you're hacking up a lung. Um, and I would get that once a year. So that was pretty much the only sickness I, I really had growing up. Um, I would get the random pink eye or uh, stomach bug once in a while, like every other kid, but that's about like, that's it. Um, I get my, my symptoms are so strange and I, I still look back to it this day. Like when did they actually really start? Because I have been sick for so long. I don't even remember anymore. And it's like, okay, this is maybe there's something, maybe that was part of it back in 2012. Maybe this was part of it back in 2011. Like I keep going further and further back realizing that, oh, excuse me. Oh my gosh, this is, this is probably part of it. Um, so like I just said before, my first time I ever got sick with mono, um, I have Epstein-Barr virus now. And that was in 20, the beginning of, uh, I mean, sorry, the end of 2012, it was like October, 2012. Um, that was my very first, any, like I had, um, been really like, I wasn't actually, I really wasn't that sick. I didn't even know that I had it until like I was at the very tail end of it where I was just really tired all the time. Um, and then Danielle, is that, is that the window of time when you were pl- trying out for the lacrosse team at, at Adelphi? Yes. So yep. prior to that, you're a healthy gal, you're a good athlete, you're performing at a high level. You're now mm-hmm. trying out for a college lacrosse team and what had been a relatively, um, I guess, easy um, athletic pursuit for you because you're a good athlete and you're healthy, you start to now have problems that are preventing you from doing what you were very good at, which was playing lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Yes. I couldn't even run the mile. I could barely keep up with the rest of the team, like the rest of the team doing anything like sprints, like nothing. It was, it was strange for me because I, I do have asthma. Um, but it's not, it's sports induced asthma. Like I have to like run a lot for it to be really triggered. Um, so the fact that this was a thing was shocking to me. And I, I was a normal runner. Like I, I would go out for a run and actually like go like, like for fun. Like I used to do that all the time. Um, but then this was, it was the weirdest thing. I couldn't, I really couldn't, um, couldn't do much. And my, uh, my travel team lacrosse coach, my club lacrosse coach was the uh, goalie coach for the Adelphi. And she had pulled me to the side and she was like, Hey, what's going on? Are you all right? Like what's happening? I know you can run. I've seen you run. Like, are you all right? And I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. You've seen me play. Can you vouch for me for these trials? She's like, there's nothing I can do. Like, I'm not the head coach. I can't, I can't tell you. Um, so that was, it was a big struggle finding out that like, I couldn't really like retry out because that was it. But that was my very first symptom. And I, I, don't, I still don't know if it's even like attributed to it because I still don't know when I really started to like get Lyme disease. In 2014, 
Uh, yeah. So 2014 was when I first got the ringworm rash. Uh, we thought it, I, the, the bullseye rash, we thought it was ringworm. Um, and they gave me a topical steroid to use. Um, and then in 2015 was when I really started to get really bad stomach issues. Um, like trouble eating, like I could barely keep anything down. I was nauseous all the time, uh, vomiting and diarrhea all the time. Um, it was, that was just like the, the first couple of episodes that I saw a GI and he was not really helpful. And he was just like, Oh, you have IBS or, Oh, you have gastritis. And I was like, you're supposed to know these things. Like, how do you not know? Um, and then in 2016, um, I started to get really dizzy all the time and I started to get really bad fatigue, um, uh, pre-syncope. I would pass out, um, uh, syncope is passing out basically, um, like fainting, uh, pre-syncope is like where you feel like you're about to, um, just so anyone didn't know, (laughs) um, I would get like these, this weird tingling and numbing, numb, numbing sensation in my feet and my hands, mostly my hands. Um, I drop things a lot now. <laughs> uh, I was getting chest pains, uh, the year be- before this, my, uh, or I'm sorry, the same year, my mom had just had a heart attack and I was like freaking out and I didn't know what was going on, but I was having chest pains, but I now know that it's part of Lyme carditis. Um, in 2017, I started to get really bad pain everywhere, pretty much, uh, joint pain, stiff joints, like swelling, and you could feel it. Like it wasn't just something that was, okay, this is stiff. Like I I need to move around. It was like, you could feel it like throbbing basically. Um, and then at this point I kept getting strep throat like once a month, like it was, it was pretty bad. Um. Like I, even more than once a month at some, at some points, it was like every three weeks, every two weeks, uh, it would come and go. And I was constantly put on, uh, ZPAC and it was not helpful. Like it just kept coming back. Um, later that year, I saw, saw an immunologist who diagnosed me with a selective immunoglobulin deficiency, which was helpful because I ended up getting a booster shot of, uh, some sort. I, it was like, the, uh, like some sort of pneumonia shot. Um, I don't remember what it's called. I've, had so so many different things with this uh doctor um and we went back actually this year and my deficiency has gotten worse um but and then I'm sorry I'll continue back on the timeline um in 2018 uh my fainting and dizziness got a lot worse this is when I was actually working in Disney um and I started to get uh like I would pass out in front of guests and it was it was kind of scary um so they pulled me to the side and said hey um, we need to like get to the bottom of this to figure out what's going on with you because like you're scaring the guests. And I'm like, yeah, I know that I'm scaring myself. Like I, I understand. Um, and so I actually ended up leaving the college program a little bit early to go home, to get treated and to see someone. Um, but once I saw someone, it was the same thing. I, oh, you just have a bug. Oh, you're just, you're just a little sick. Like you, you this will go away. Um, and I'm like, this is, this has been going on for six, like for five years, guys. Like how, how is this just a bug? Um, and this is when my migraines started to come in. And like, at the end of the year, I was getting really bad migraines. I was having trouble seeing when a migraine attack would happen. Um, I would get ear ringing when I had, uh, migraines. Um, my migraines are, uh, audio induced, not 
ocular so it has nothing to do with my eyes like I am fine I'm, I have no light sensitivity it's ear sensitivity so whenever I hear something that's really loud or if I hear like a car that's playing really loud music next to me that has a bass going it just triggers a migraine instantly and I don't know why it's just there's some I do have an inner ear imbalance and um it looks like there might be uh like fluid behind my ears but they they said um that there's there's not a lot that they could do for that so Unfortunately, it's not something that I can fix. Um, and so, Danielle, then, I'm, I'm going to yes. ask you to pause for a second. Um, sure. And, and let's walk back to 2012. In mm-hmm. 2012, do you recall having been bitten by a tick? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, I, I do not remember getting bitten by a tick whatsoever. Ever in your whole life? Mm-mm. Okay. So now in 2012, when you first started <laughs> feeling the symptoms, the ones that interfered do, with your ability to try out for the team at mm-hmm. Delphi university did you go to see a doctor um they had an on-campus doctor there um like a like a nurse I don't know if he was a nurse practitioner or a nurse assist- like a physician assistant um but he had uh like told me he was the one who, who checked for mono because apparently it was going around I like I'll say that first but I had just started there and I wasn't like you know that it's called the kissing disease and I wasn't kissing anyone so I we could have, we attributed it to, oh, maybe I drank out of, I did drink out of the water bottles that were left on the side of the, um, the field for lacrosse, but that's also very, like, we all like barely touched it. Like we would just pour it. Like it was like one of those squeeze bottles. So yeah, don't know. (laughs) So did you see any doctors in 2014 when you had the symptomology that developed in 2014? Um, let me, sorry, I forgot. 2014 is like a, still like a uh, very blurry year. 2014, yes, that was when I had ringworm. So they gave me, um, or we thought it was ringworm. And they gave me a topical steroid to, uh, to help that. Okay, now, did <clears throat> your doctor ever discuss with you the possibility that this rash that they were treating you for ringworm could have been Lyme disease? No, mm-mm. Had no idea. Did your doctor ever suggest to you that if you did have Lyme disease and they did treat it topically with a steroid, that the steroid would suppress your immune system and it would make it more likely that your Lyme disease would, uh, would be exacerbated? No. You, you also, I didn't even know that. <laughs> so you, you now talked about 2015 and you had some symptomology in 2015. Did you see mm-hmm. any doctors in 2015? Yes, I saw a GI doctor. I saw my regular doctor a lot, but mainly my GI doctor. And at any time during your doctor's visits in 2015, did you ever discuss or did they ever discuss with you the possibility that you may be suffering from classic Lyme disease symptoms? Nope. Nope. What about 2016? You said you had uh, new symptoms in 2016. Um, Did you uh, see doctors and was there any discussion about Lyme disease? Yeah. So I was seeing my normal doctor, like my uh, physician at this time. And I, this is when I started to get dizzy headaches, like like all this stuff, uh, chest pain. Um, and this is when he actually said, okay, you have a couple of Lyme disease symptoms. Let's check you for it. And this is when it came up negative the first time, okay, um, which so actually, I'm sorry. Uh, let's I pause it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say it came back negative, did the doctor perform a certain set of 
blood tests or other types of tests that he or she or they were using to diagnose you for Lyme disease? I believe it was just the regular blood test. Like there was no um, immunoassay. There was no Western blot or anything like that. It was just like the regular blood test to see if my antibodies reacted to Lyme disease or something. I don't know. One of those, the first ones, I really can't tell you. Elisa. <laughs> yeah, now, there you go. Now, do you know whether or not the doctor spoke with you or your parents about the limitations associated with Lyme disease testing? No. So at that time, when the doctor said to you, we're going to test you, and the doctor did test you, and the doctor told you that the test came back negative. Did you believe that there was still the possibility that you had Lyme disease or did you put that out of your mind and move forward with your life and trying to figure out your health challenges in other areas? Um, honestly, I can't remember. I think 2017 was the year that I like was like, maybe that was negative. Um, because I remember having like, like looked it up because that was one of the things that like every time I looked at my symptoms, it's Lyme disease. Like that was what it was. Um, so, and then I started looking a little bit more into it and said, not every Lyme disease, not every person with Lyme disease, it's very hard to diagnose. Like you can't really find it right away sometimes. So, um, had no clue. So now when you say you were looking at your symptoms, were you using Dr. Google or some other source to give you an outline of what the symptoms of Lyme disease were? And did you start to see some identity between your symptoms and the symptoms that you were researching from Lyme disease? So I guess the first thing that, that triggered me to like, look it up. Um, I would just look up my symptoms on WebMD all the time because I was trying to figure like, what is this? Like, what is going on? And every time I would look it up, it's like, you might be dying, go to the nearest ER or call 911. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so, uh, I decided that, you know, instead of doing WebMD, maybe I should start looking at different illnesses that exist and that are prevalent and see what their symptoms are instead of looking at my symptoms. So I went, did it that way and Lyme disease, um, lupus, um, what was the other one? Uh, there was another one that I saw on there. It was like, all of these look like something that I might have. And I was like, geez, that's, that's crazy. Maybe I should go get tested. I got tested for lupus. That was negative. Um, I got tested for like a ton of things and there was just nothing coming out like autoimmune diseases nothing like absolutely nothing and it was it was baffling to me because of how I felt and what my boyfriend was even seeing he was like this is just this is just uh too much too much like there's no there's no way that this is nothing so Danielle you shared with us that at one point your mom had suffered a heart attack um mm -hmm. And I have two questions about that. One, do you believe your mom is suffering from Lyme carditis or any um, other form of Lyme disease? And secondly, when your mom had gotten sick, was that really stressful to you? And do you believe that that suppressed your immune system and caused your disease to accelerate? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I don't think that one, no, she doesn't have Lyme carditis. She has diabetes and it's a high risk to um, have a heart attack when you have diabetes. Okay. Um, and two, I don't think it's, I mean, it definitely did stress me out like a lot, but I think it was already there and it was already starting to make its way out because it just had, it started out like 
it just progressively got worse. There was no like, oh, this is the moment that it got really bad. Like it just got worse, worse, worse and worse, like very steadily. So between 2012 and 2016, you're just having sort of the steady increase of symptoms that are becoming mm-hmm. more and more debilitating. Yes, exactly. So when did you finally get diagnosed with Lyme disease? Um, about a year ago, uh, 2020. So you, you believe your Lyme symptoms began as early as 2012, certainly as early as 2014, where you had the, uh, the bullseye rash. rash. Yeah. Um, and um, you went all of these years forward with uh, trying to get a diagnosis. And it wasn't until 2020 that you had gotten, um, gotten diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about how many different doctors you saw between 2014 and 2020 before you were finally diagnosed. I want to say, I know I have the exact number on that sheet, but I want to say about nine. Um, yep. That's actually the exact number. <laughs> um, so I saw two physicians, two cardiologists, one GI, one immunologist, one ENT and one neurologist. And um, who finally diagnosed you with Lyme disease? Actually, none of them. Um, so I was seeing, uh, I was going to a place in Colorado that was actually doing a, uh, like an infusion center. So I was going for an infusion therapy and I was just going and getting, you know, a Myers cocktail. I don't if you're not aware of what that is. It's just like, um, uh, vitamins and, uh, basically helps your immune system. Um, <clears throat> and I am very vitamin D deficient. Um, and I, need vitamin C because I have a low immune system. So I was like, this is a perfect cocktail. Like I'm going to go like once or twice a week and get this. Um, and as I was going there, there was one of the nurses there. Um, she's a nurse practitioner and she had noticed me in there a lot. And she's like, asked me about my symptoms and she had explained to me, Oh, well, I, I have Lyme disease and I have uh, mold toxicity. Um, and I, I, I would love to like sit down and really talk to you about your symptoms and how you're feeling. And hopefully maybe we could test you and get some things done. Um, so I agreed and we, we sat down, we had a, an appointment. Um, and so she did a full hormone panel. Um, she did a full, like she did every, like the, all the normal workup. And then she came back to me and said, Hey, um, you have low testosterone and you have low vitamin D. So, um, here's what I'm going to like suggest for you to do. Um, take ashwagandha that will help with stress, which is why you have low testosterone. Um, and then take some vitamin D and go out in the sun. Um, so those are the top two things that I want to tell you. I also want to test you for Lyme disease because your, your, um, your story sounds similar to mine. I was negative the first time. And when I, when I got the second test of this exact test done, this is when I was diagnosed because they looked further into testing your blood. They, they don't just do one test and call it a day. They, they do a lot of different testing. They test every single different band. They test every single, like they do a Western blot. They do an immunoassay. They do everything. So um, I ended up taking the IgenX test, Igenix. I know it's like IgenX. Um, and she, uh, she said, it's like, hey, it's $800. Um, like insurance won't cover it. And I was like, are you kidding? This is why there is so like, like, there are no free Lyme disease full tests like this. None. Like it's, it's shocking to me. Um, and I asked her, I was like, is there another option? She said, nope, this is, I'm sorry. Like, if you want this done, like, this is how much it is. 
I'm not charging you. They're charging you. Like this is how much $800 is not an easy payment for a lot of people. Um, thankfully my parents are, were able to help me out because I know that I was not feeling well. Um, cause I, I was working, you know, a minimum wage job. Like it wasn't, I, I didn't have a lot of money to, to spend on that. And, uh, so they helped me, I got the test done. She calls me back, um, about a month later and says, Hey, we got your results back. We need to set up an appointment to go over it. Um, it'll just be like a 45 minute call. And I'm like, 45 minutes. Jeez, that's a long time to tell me I don't have it. So I was like freaking out. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Like, why would they schedule a 45 minute phone call to tell me I don't have it? So I must have it. And like, I just went like nuts because it was like, why can't we just talk right now? Like, you're calling me to set up an appointment. Why can't we just talk right now? Um, so she had, uh, she given me a time and said, okay, like, we'll talk at this time. Like I, there's details I need to go over with you. And that's when I found out that, um, actually by the CDC guidelines, I don't have Lyme disease by the CDC. I do not have it, but I have two out of the six required bands that makes it, um, makes it there. And I have tick-borne relapsing fever as well. So with these two, two illnesses and like, you know, all the symptoms that I have, I have it. So it's, they were like, there's no way you don't have it. Like, even when I went to Dr. Cameron, he was like looking at it and he was like, all your symptoms point to Lyme disease. Not all these symptoms are from tick-borne relapsing anyway, because there's, there's no way that like this specific symptom is not Lyme disease. Like there's, there's no way because you lived in Long Island for so long tick-borne relapsing fever isn't is only in Colorado and I just moved out there in 2019 so he you know he took my history he took like all my information and actually like looked it over and said you have it there's no you know it's confirmed like you have Lyme disease and it kind of it sucked it it hit hard (laughs) okay so we're gonna get to Dr. Cameron in a minute yeah yeah that's why I didn't want to portion of your journey (laughs) yeah stay with me stay with me on the diagnostic journey so okay when you took the when you took the Igenix test and you were told that Igenix had a more comprehensive test, more expensive, not covered by insurance, but more comprehensive, how did that make you feel about the doctor who had given you the first Lyme disease test, who didn't share with you there were limitations of the test, in fact, told you that you did not have Lyme disease because you didn't test positive on that first test? I was very frustrated and annoyed. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? We could have like been done with this years ago. I could have known years ago, like how, like you're a doctor, you should know, like know better than just to tell someone that they don't have it and not do any further search. Like it's, I think it's not fair. It's not fair to us. Like you, you have that knowledge and you're going to hold it from me. Like that's, I don't have that knowledge because it's not well known, but you have it. And I, that's not fair. Now, how did you feel about all the other doctors you had seen? You had seen nine doctors before you met with um, this healthcare professional who recommended the Igenix test. How did you feel mm-hmm. about all those other doctors who didn't recommend other tests and were not willing to diagnose you with Lyme disease clinically? Um, I think a lot of them didn't weren't educated on Lyme disease. A lot of them like really didn't know a lot about it. Um, and they didn't think to test for it. Like they didn't think that, that would be, especially my first um, gastro doctor. Like, I don't think he knew to test for it um, because he only saw me for, for 
gas, uh, like uh, intestinal problems. And that was the only symptom that I really had besides mono, but I didn't know I had Epstein-Barr virus yet. So, but Danielle, you, you know, you grew up on Long Island. You were, you were <laughs> from Western Long Island, Eastern Long Island. We, we are the Lyme capital of the world. Uh, and you're telling me that you went to see nine doctors um, mm-hmm. you know, from one of the wealthiest communities in uh, the country. And none of those nine doctors were educated about a disease that's endemic on Long Island? Nope, not. I, it's funny because I was, I was diagnosed in Colorado. I wasn't even diagnosed in New York. And how does that make you feel that, you know, you grew up in one of the wealthiest parts of the country and with a well-heeled family who had all kinds of resources to send you to all kinds of doctors, and none of those doctors were willing or able to diagnose you with a disease that you were clearly suffering from? Uh, it's so, it's funny because I think my, my parents also kind of, no offense to them, I love them, but they kind of played a part in it and they kept telling me that, oh, you're fine. Oh, you're fine. Stop looking for something that you that you don't have, like, you know, stop looking for something to be wrong with you. And it it wasn't that I was looking for something to be wrong with me. It was looking that I was looking more that I was looking to find something to fix because I knew there was something wrong. I wasn't looking for something to be wrong. I knew there was something wrong already. But Danielle, what did you expect your parents to do when they were being told by all the healthcare professionals that they were bringing their child to, that there was nothing wrong with you? I mean, they were essentially saying it's all in your head. Um, I mean, I guess my parents also, they call me a, a hypochondriac and it made me feel like really, really upset that they didn't believe and like no one believed me. And like, I would go, I, I've been to the ER countless times and to just sit there and like not be noticed and sit there in pain and like crying my eyes out and no one like approaching me, it's, it, it hurts. Like, I just want to be believed. And I want people to literally just have a day in my shoes, like sitting here right now, my back hurts so bad. Um, my ankle, I sprained my ankle about a month ago and it's so like, it's still swollen and painful. Um, there are so many things that people just don't realize, like what we go through and what every day is like. Um, so and then- even on a quote, I'm sorry, even on a quote unquote pain-free day, it's still painful. So Okay, so so you had you had people who were sort of external to your world, like mm-hmm. doctors, who were telling you that there was nothing wrong with you. You mm-hmm. had people who you had an intimate relationship with, like your parents, who were telling you there was nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. What impact did all of that have on your belief about whether something was wrong with you? Meaning, was your mind telling you maybe there is nothing wrong with me? Originally, yes. I, I was like, okay, maybe I, maybe it's just all in my head. Maybe I'm just like, I'm fine. And I am looking for something to be wrong. Maybe, maybe just possibly. Um, but I always still had that little bit of, okay, no, there's something wrong still. So I think that kept, is what kept me going. So now you go to your clinic in Colorado, uh, you're getting your Myers cocktails. You meet with the woman who has saved your life, who has mm-hmm. you take the hygienics test. Uh, and you finally now have a test that gives you a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. How did that make you feel about this journey where you had doctors who were undermining you and people who you loved undermining you and you even doubting yourself? Did that finally give you the validation that you needed to now have the belief that was necessary for you to go on a healing journey? I think so, because there was finally an answer and it was finally like, here's what's wrong with me. Here's what's been wrong with me. Um, 
I never made it up. It was never in my head. Like, haha, like, you know, I wanted to go back to all those ER doctors and like urgent care doctors and be like, here, I wasn't making it up. Like, you know, it was something that I was just like, here's my proof. Like, here's, here's what I needed. Like, here's what I it finally validated my feeling. So how did your parents treat you differently after you now had the validation that the hygienics test gave you? Mm, I think they treat me more of like a baby now, like, uh, like, uh, how's your day going? Are you feeling all right? Like, you know, and if I say, oh, I'm not feeling well today, you know, it's not like, okay, we'll feel better. It's like, a, hey, can I bring you over uh, Gatorade? Can I bring you over like something to eat? Like what's going on? What are your symptoms? Can I help you? Instead of, you know, they used to say, okay, we'll feel better, you know, and I wouldn't feel better. It's like, you know. <laughs> so they're, they're now, they're now trying to help you to work through the challenges that you're facing in a way that they weren't willing or able to do when they didn't have the external validation. Exactly. Yeah. So it's been, it's been definitely, they, they've been more helpful and more um, open-minded now. Now, has the test helped you in any other parts of your life? Meaning, how, did you have friends who doubted you? Did you have any intimate partners who doubted you, uh, coaches or you know fellow players? And are you now able to now give them a description about what was going on with you during all those years and to now validate your experience? Um, I wouldn't say I had any um, relationships or friends or family that really doubted me. Um, it's not like they said, Oh, you're lying about how you're feeling or anything like that. I think they maybe thought that I was being a little bit, a little extreme with it, like, like complaining a lot, but I don't think they, they doubted me. I think they just thought I was exaggerating. Um, but I mean, I, I think, um, I, I have a really strong friend group. Like I, I used to have a friend group that was not great and I changed, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. So I, I only surrounded my, my, myself with like people who supported me and who were really helpful in my journey. So um, I think that they, they have been uh, a key to um, how I've been feeling mentally. So Danielle, I want to start by saying that I'm just totally shocked that you went for over eight years of being horribly sick with heart issues, neurological issues, fainting, legitimate physical illnesses. And yet all of your doctors and your family said you're making it up. So I'm just sorry for that. And that needs to change. And that's why we fight every day to help change that in the Lyme world. But mm-hmm. secondly, I want to comment on the, what you just, just talked about, which is your friend group had to change to be a more healthy environment for you to heal. And we hear this a lot from people in the Lyme community that they have a very unhealthy social relationship or social group, and they are concerned or, or don't want to pivot away from that and find a healthier group to be friends with. But I believe that that is an important factor, an important part of healing is to have a supportive social and family group. So can you talk us more about what made you realize your previous social group wasn't healthy for you and why you then changed to have a more supportive group of friends to help you heal? It was like, they're, they're a little toxic. So it wasn't that they didn't believe me. It was more so that like, they were just not good people in general. So I was 23, 22, maybe 21. I don't know. But they were just like, we were all the same age. And it felt like I was in high school again, because they were just dramatic and talked about like, all they did was gossip about other people who weren't in our group. And I was like, this is not the friends that I want. So it's like, it wasn't like they, they didn't believe me or anything like that. It was more so like, that's not what I wanted in friends. So. But I think that negativity and that drama 
is going to weaken your immune system. And I think in order to heal, you need to embrace a positive attitude and sort of rise above your illness and try to, which is very difficult, have a positive mindset, focus on your small gains and having something that's counterproductive, like a toxic friend group like that is going to hurt you in your healing journey. All right, so once you finally got this diagnosis and now you're in Colorado, which is so bizarre that you got diagnosed in Colorado and not here in Long Island, New York, yeah. what, did, what did you do? Did you treat with the doctor in Colorado? Did you come back to New York and treat New York? What are your next steps? So when I first got my blood drawn for this test, it was the week before the pandemic had hit. I was diagnosed in May of 2020. Um, and my, the nurse practitioner does holistic treatment and I didn't want to go the holistic route. I just, I wasn't there yet. I had just found out that I got it. So I wasn't ready for, like, I didn't want to have a holistic treatment yet. Like I, it was maybe something for the future, maybe another time, but right now I need to focus on like my cousin is in the medical field. She's a nurse. Um, my other, like I have a bunch of people in the medical field who are like, do the antibiotics first do that, like all the Western medicine first, and then see, like, you can go to the um, non-traditional, like holistic route, like, see, like, do like, or maybe do a mixture of both, like, who, like, who knows. Um, so um, once I had gotten that diagnosis, I took the diagnosis and went to a doctor who uh, handles like he's an immunologist and um, disease uh recent like he search he researches uh diseases um so he had one Lyme disease patient before me but he uh was working with someone from New York who is like does Lyme disease so he was working with someone like personally like who who works with in, for like with Lyme disease in New York so he was already like he knew a lot about it um so someone had recommended me to go to him so I went to him and instead of treating the Lyme disease itself, all they were doing was treating the symptoms of Lyme disease. So I had uh, mast cell activation syndrome. I had um, a lot going on with my, my uh, stomach and my gut, like my gut, um, they wanted to treat me for like leaky gut protocol. Um, then I had, uh, I have out like a ton of allergies and they wanted to give me allergy shots. I have small fiber, fiber neuropathy. And they wanted to start me on IVIG. And, you know, I, this is, it was all so overwhelming that I had no idea where to go first. So I was like, okay, this is, I can't do this. Like, no, like there's no, uh, I'm sorry. Like, no, I, I, there's, this is way too much. Like I cannot handle this. So I ended up uh, moving back to New York to see uh, a Lyme disease doctor, like a specialist just to make sure that I actually see someone who knows what they're doing because it seemed like this guy was just out there and like, he, he, he knows a lot about it, but I don't think he knew what he was doing yet. And I'm um, sorry to interrupt, but did you do any okay. treatment with the doctor in Colorado that was sort of treating the symptoms or did you just decide right away, this isn't for me and came back to New York? Um, I tried it out for like a month, a month and a half. And because it was just like, so like so much and so overwhelming and like a lot at like the same time. Um, I, I ended up uh, making the decision to move back to New York. Um, I had started there in July of 2020, and then we moved back in September of 2020. Okay, before we go back to September of 2020 and coming back to New York, talk to us about mast cell activation syndrome, because we get a lot of people asking us, how do we know or how do they know if they have MCAS? Because it's a very common side effect or symptom with Lyme disease. So what put that on your radar and how did your doctors diagnose you with MCAS? 
So it was never on my radar before, like ever. Like I never even heard about it until I am actually in a Facebook group and I kept seeing all these people like posting about MCAS. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. Like, can someone explain it to me? Um, so they actually helped me out before anyone else did. Um, and it's a, um, it's basically when your body produces too much histamine um, and you have an allergic reaction to something for no reason. Like it's literally no reason at all. Like I, it could be like not even, um, like you, you're not even having allergic reactions. There's just certain triggers that, that makes it come out. Um, my biggest NCIS reaction is I get really flushed in my cheeks. Um, I don't feel it today. So it, that's a great sign. Um, but like one side of like half of my face will just get red, really, really red and hot for no reason. And it's like, it hurts. I will get a really bad migraine on that side of my head. My cheek, my entire cheek is just red. Um, if anyone wants to see pictures, you can go to my Instagram, you'll see it. Uh, it's like, like half of my face is just red. It's the weirdest thing. And I had no idea what it was from. Um, then I started to realize that it was going, like, it was everywhere. I started getting like just red, hot, itchy spots on my body. And I was like, what is going Like, what is this? Um, and I had never thought anything of that until they said, um, when I did more blood work at the immunologist in Colorado and they said, Oh, just want to let you know, you have something called MCAS. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Cause I didn't put the two and two together. So now you go back to New York, it's September of 2020 and you decide mm -hmm. to treat with a more specialized Lyme doctor. So talk to us about what research you did and what doctor you landed with in New York. So I know a bunch of people cause, um, I am, uh, not to like plug myself or anything. I have a big following on, uh, my other Instagram. So I have two Instagrams. One of them is my main profile and the other one is my uh, healing and Lyme disease journey. The, the main profile has a lot of followers and I had reached out to people and like posted on there and said, hey guys, does anyone know any Lyme disease specialists in the New York area? I'm looking for someone I just moved back. Um, please send me your, your uh, top doctors or who your friends have seen. Um, and surprisingly enough, there was a lot of doc different doctors that I, I had gotten on there. Um, one of the big ones that I had gotten was Dr. Cameron. There was another one that he had actually worked very closely with, and I forget his name, but um, he was like the top doctor, but he had a really long waiting list. Was it Dr. So, Horowitz? Um, yes. Yep. Um, so uh, he's upstate also, right? Yes. Yes. Then, yes, it was him. Um, so he had a waiting list, and I was like, all right, well, I'm not I can't wait anymore. Like I've already waited eight, whatever, six, eight years. I can't wait anymore. Like it's not, it, this is something that needs to be handled right now. Um, so go ahead. So essentially each, I just, I'm just making an observation about your journey. Every step you made where you had progress was based on your own research, crowdsourcing information from the social media community or doing your own WebMD slash Google research to basically push your own diagnosis when everybody else thought you were just making it up. So that's yeah. something really powerful as well that I hope you reflect back on and realize that you, you are responsible for the successes you've had in your healing journey and not your doctors. And I think this is an important message for people to advocate for themselves 
and not give up when people are telling them, hey, you're fine, because we've all been there and we need to advocate for ourselves like you did, Danielle, and you're a perfect model for that, to keep fighting to find the right doctors to get better and keep climbing our way out of this, this horrible pit that is Lyme disease. That was my biggest thing for my entire journey so far. You know, like I'm not remission. I'm still sick. I'm still fighting this. But I, if I could tell anyone anything, it would be use your voice and advocate for yourself because if you don't, you'll stay sick. Um, and I, I, I'm so glad that I did because if I didn't, I would still be where I was last year and not knowing, not having any answers and having no idea what to do. So, so on this note, looking back, and it's very difficult to sort of judge yourself or critique yourself, but looking back at the last eight years of your, your health journeys, is there anything you did that you would do differently that you can give as a piece of advice to our listeners or some sort of tip you can provide to our listeners to shortcut their healing journey that you learned from your experience? Um, I would say don't take no for an answer. Like if your doctor says, no, you don't have this, be like, are you sure? are you sure? Did you check? Um, did you do the full workup? Like ask for the extensive, extensive, uh, research. Like don't just don't take no for an answer. Like that's not, it's not going to sit right with you if you do. And, um, you find out later on that the doctor was wrong. All right. So now talk to us more about Dr. Cameron. So it sounds like you landed on Dr. Cameron after crowdsourcing the best doctor in New York, which is an awesome strategy, I believe, to, to actually find a proper doctor where we live. Mm -hmm. So now you're going upstate, you're seeing Dr. Cameron. Talk to us what that was like compared to all the other doctors you've seen prior to that. So the very first appointment that I had with him, um, you know, he's, he's not, he's not a regular doctor is what people call it. Like, um, it, it, LLMD is like way different than any other doctor. And, um, they'll actually tell you exactly how you're feeling and they know exactly how you feel. And they'll say, you have this, 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 and this, is that right? And I'm like, yeah. how do you know that? Like, you know, it's the first time I had ever really like sat down with a doctor and he explained everything to me and why I have it and why it's so bad, how long I've had it, all these different things about Lyme disease that I had no idea about. And I was just like, my eyes opened. And I was like, cause I had brought my boyfriend with me and I like, I would look over at him and be like, like, I like, just like jaw dropped. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, how did he, he know, he already knows everything that I am feeling. He knows every, every symptom. He knows everything that I have said. And I actually have the whole entire conversation recorded because I wanted to be able to take this to other doctors and take this to my parents and be like, this is what I have. This is what I want you to listen to. You need to hear this. It's not just like, you know, like I, I wasn't, it, it's, it's more than just, oh, you have Lyme disease. Like it's, it's, it's deep. Like this is everything that's wrong and everything that's going on. Um, so I think that was really powerful to know that someone was on my side and someone was listening. Someone was really going to take care of me. So it sounds like that, although you had a proper diagnosis of Lyme disease, nobody understood how serious that really was. And by recording yeah. that discussion and that, that first appointment with Dr. Cameron allowed you to then present that to others so they can realize, hey, this is a really, really devastating illness. It's not just something you can treat and get better from pretty quickly. And was that an effective strategy for you, for your friends and family to, to take that recording, have them listen to it, to have them truly understand what you're going through? I think so. Because, um, you know, 
if I don't take my parents to a doctor's appointment, they always want to know what's going on in like detail. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit there and record every doctor's appointment I go to, but this one is really important because I think it made them realize like what I'm actually struggling with and what I'm actually going through and how the doctor is going to help. So after this, this lengthy discussion and first appointment with Dr. Cameron, what treatment protocol did you walk away with? Um, so he, he definitely doesn't like to start out going right in with the heavy stuff. Um, he does like to, you know, take caution. Um, so the first thing he did was um, say, okay, we're going to get your blood work up. We're going to test you for a bunch of different things. Um, we're going to like, make sure like, you know, uh, I brought my first uh, blood test with me, the IGNX and he saw it and everything. And um, he just wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we were still at that point. Um, we didn't do everything that was on the IGNX. Like he saw what he needed to see for the Lyme disease and tick-borne relapsing fever part. He did more so like the MCAS, the, um, the regular, uh, ELISA tests, um, all of that stuff. Like he did like the little things. Um, and he also tested me for Ericlia, uh, Babesia and, um, Bart, I, I don't Bartonella. Yeah, that one. Um, and none of those came up, which was really great because co-infections suck. I've, I've heard like many different stories. Um, but he did say, um, like, you know, having both Lyme disease and tick-borne relapse fever is basically like having a co-infection. So I didn't really skip anything. Um, I also have, uh, I mean, he was also testing me for other, you know, just regular things. He wanted to test my, um, I do have, I have Hashimoto's as well. So he wanted to make sure that, uh, that was, that was clear. Um, he wanted to make sure that my, uh, ANA was negative, which it actually wasn't. It was positive, but then they retested me. It was negative. Um, ANA is the marker for lupus. Um, I, I walked away that day with a prescription for doxycycline and something else that was for Babesia, just in case I had it. Cause it, my symptoms had sounded like I had it. Um, but he told me not to start it until, um, like we get back the blood results. So that way, you know, you have it, you have the prescription, you have the medicine. And then once I call you, um, with the blood results, then you'll take it if you do have it. So it was, um, th that's basically what I walked away with. So you walked away. It sounds like the, the Babesia never popped positive and hygienic. So you probably never took the second medication, probably an antiparasitic. Exactly. Yeah. So walk us through what it was like the first time you started taking doxycycline. Did you feel any different? Did it help? Did it not help? What was that like? Um, it was, it was a hit, it was a hit and miss. It was a little bit like I would feel good. Then I would feel awful. Then I'll feel good. Then I feel off. Like it was on and off. Um, I know, the herxing is like something that is like huge and that a lot of people go through. Um, the main thing that I was feeling was like, I was just throwing up a lot like that. It wasn't, um, wasn't that much, but I was throwing up a lot and I was like sometimes dizzy. And, um, this was, it was good because it was a week that, um, uh, or the first week that I took it was, um, I was off from work, so I didn't have to do anything. Um, but then, uh, after that, it kind of, it got a little bit better. Um, until I ended up, um, and I'm sorry if this is TMI for anyone, um, a month and a half in, I was like 90 days in and, uh, I ended up starting to get blood in my stool 
Um, and so I called Dr. Cameron right away on his emergency number, um, because it wasn't normal blood. It was like, it was, it was, I'll just put it, it wasn't normal blood. So I called him and he said, okay, you need to go to the ER right now. Um, so I went to the ER and they had said, there's like, they don't see anything like nothing's there. You know, they are checking for um, diverticulitis. They're checking for just a couple different things. Cause I was also having really bad abdomen pain and wasn't, it wasn't normal stuff going on. Um, so they ended up, um, he ended up like having me stop the medication completely and altogether. And he wouldn't let me go back on until I got a colonoscopy, which I just got like two weeks ago. So since December, I have not been on doxycycline since that episode. Um, and in my colonoscopy, I'll just say this real quick was everything was pretty much clear, except I had a polyp. So that was, he thinks that that was the reason why there was blood. So um yeah. so you, you from th- that was december when you started the doxy and it took mm-hmm. six months for you to get in to get to get the testing done the colonoscopy to see what yep. was going on before you can restart your medication yep now i think that was just like literally like a week or two ago right it was june 1st june 1st yep it was literally a week ago the reason why it took so long is because like they they do a lot in one day. Like they do a lot of stuff in one day. I had an, a colonoscopy and an be done at the same time. Um, they, uh, there was probably about like 15 of the like patients in the same waiting, like, you know, you're about to be rolled in to go into this one place. And then once you're done, they roll you out and then roll the next person in. It's like, it's, it was, in, they have a lot of nurses to take care of you and do it. And it was just like a, really th- like I was like that's how long it took and you have this many people going in in one day like that's nuts first of all second of all you told me if it was an emergency I can get a faster appointment I was able to get a faster appointment but then I didn't have insurance for two months because New York State's insurance is awful so <laughs> so walk us through now you just a week ago got cleared with the colonoscopy have you restarted the antibiotics I haven't because I, I, um, I had, do have a, a, an appointment with Dr. Cameron coming up, but I don't, I haven't spoken to him yet. So, um, I don't want to just like start them right away. Um, I want to make sure that like, you know, everything's good with him that I can restart them. So I'm just curious, you've made a lot of progress. You had Lyme carditis, you had seizures, you were fainting. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. You had a lot, a lot of different symptoms you had going on there. So mm-hmm what do you attribute to your successes and your gains in your health? Do you think it was just a one month of doxy had that much of a positive impact? Or do you think it was other things you were doing as well that contributed to your improvement of your health? Um, I wouldn't say like I, my, my health is still like shaky and still all over the place. I wouldn't say I'm feeling much better. I'm, I would say I'm feeling better in general. Like I, I still have pain every day. I still, um, have nausea at, like a lot. Um, I would say the, the one big thing that's like the couple of things that changed, um, I'm not passing out as much anymore. My heart rate isn't as high anymore. Um, my migraines have gone a little bit less like that. Like those are the, the things that have changed. Everything else is pretty much still the same. Like, you know, I, I can't eat like most days. Um, I just have like awful stomach issues still. Like, um, I have heat intolerance. I, there's so many different things. I still have a lot. So it's, I wouldn't say I'm there yet. Like I'm not, I'm not completely all right yet. 
So what are you looking at for the future? I know you're going to go back and consult with Dr. Cameron and probably, mm-hmm. you know, pick up with, with his recommendations, but I know personally, you've been looking at other alternatives that you might pursue in the near future. So what would those things be that you're looking at on your own to help in your healing journey? Um, so I have been looking into, um, bee venom therapy. Um, I know my friend Victoria has been doing it and, um, been helping her a lot and she was wishes that she had started it sooner but um you know I wanted to make sure everything was clear with all my doctors and everything and like talk to Dr. Cameron and see what he thinks um before starting that because I know like maybe if I started on uh back on antibiotics and back on the uh protocol or back on like what he has as protocol for him um he has two different plans he's like plan a and plan b and we're still working on plan a (laughs) um so we're, we're like plan A and a half. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll talk to him and see if B venom therapy is an option to uh, work with him. Like you use that w- as well as use him. Can you just give a brief description? Um, I know you mentioned your friend, Victoria, that's, that's coach Vic, as we call her from Nassau County <laughs> as well. We interviewed uh, Vic, we love her. Can you just give us a brief description of, of how B venom therapy can be helpful in treating Lyme disease and what you've learned from both coach Vic and your studies? Um, so bee venom therapy is a therapy that, uh, they use the venom to basically, I forget what the name of the, the, what's in the venom to help like shock your system. Basically it just like kind of opens up your, it like shocks your system and, and, uh, helps with your, your muscles relaxing, um, your, your pain, uh, receptors, like the nerve receptors, um, to not be like, it's not as painful. Um, there's just a lot to it, uh, that, you know, you hit the different trigger points of, uh, let's say your headaches or your stomach issues, or, you know, there's different trigger points that you're supposed to put these bees in. Um, you you put the, 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 the stinger in and then you leave the stinger in and just pull the, the bee off and they only use queen bees, which are about to die anyway. So it's like very natural and safe. And, you know, um, this is something that's already going to happen. Um, so they may as well use it for good. So once they, they leave that stinger in for about like 10 minutes and then they take the stinger out, uh, and it, the, the, the venom does its magic and it, it helps um, to make someone feel better overall. And like, it's, it should, it's, I don't know too much about it. I don't know a lot about it. I've just seen what Vic does. And I did a little bit of research. Like, I'm not like, oh, this is what I want to do. Like, I was just thinking about doing it so far. Um, like, this is something that I want to talk to more people about, like Dr. Cameron. Um, I know Vic has been, it, it's been helping her. Um, I've seen someone on TikTok do it a lot and she's feeling better. So, you know, um, there's a lot of education that really needs to go into it. Um, and more research on my, on my part before I say, this is what I'm doing. But for right now, that's something that is like big on my list. So then you'll talk to us about what has been beautiful about this journey. Meaning what have you learned about yourself what have you learned about the people that you are interacting with in life that you believe you would not know had you not gone through the suffering that you've gone through on your Lyme disease journey? I would say um, I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. I'm a lot 
more active and vocal about like medicine and medical problems and now um, advocating for myself and everyone else who has this um, has been really, it's made me, it's made me think twice about like judging other people because I know chronic illnesses are not always visible. Um, you can't always see what someone is suffering with. And it's, it's hard to, to tell because, you know, you can look at me today and say, oh, that girl is perfectly healthy when I'm, I'm not. I have three different chronic illnesses right now, that, uh, four, I should say, that I'm dealing with right now. And um, I just recently got diagnosed with another one. And it's like, it, there's, there's, it, they just keep coming and no one, no one can tell. It's, it's crazy. And it's funny to me because I've learned that Lyme disease can wreak havoc and open up your, your body to so many other illnesses, not just Lyme disease. So our, our final question to all of our guests on Think Boot Camp is, if God forbid your boyfriend came over to you after you left work today and he showed you the uh, tick biting him on his leg, what would you recommend that he would do so he wouldn't have to go on a chronic Lyme disease journey the way you have? Um, my initial reaction would be to leave it until we get home, get a tweezer, a proper tweezer, pull it out from the head straight out. You can't like, I've looked out so many different videos of how to do it now. Um, pull it straight out. If the head is still in there, try to clean it out as much as you can save that tick, put it in the bag, um, go to the doctor first, um, get that first round of doxycycline. Do not leave that doctor's office without it. Um, because it's, you're better safe than sorry. Um, and then send that, that tick out to the lab to see if it has the Lyme disease, um, and get tested for Lyme disease while you're, while you're at the doctor's office. Like say, don't do, like I said, don't take no for an answer. Get that test. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Danielle Cosgrove. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Danielle Cosgrove and her Lyme disease journey, please visit her Instagram page at Danny Cosgrove, D-A-N-I-I-C-O-S-G-R-O-V-E. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. Thank you, as always, for listening.